0: From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen.
1: This is All Earned Media. The reason they're going to talk about you, write about you, report on you, or do a retweet of one of your retweets is because you have something they see of value to share with their audience. If I had to become a huckster and I'm thinking at the end of the day, if I get this story, I'm going to be talking to that reporter like a car salesman.
0: Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to Patreon.com/NotSeenRadio. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/NotSeenRadio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and today we're speaking with Tom seselka He's the principal at TC Public Relations, and he has nearly three decades of experience in doing public relations and marketing for mainly religious organizations, Christian and Catholic organizations from across the nation. And so we'll be getting into a little bit today about how he got into this line of work and what some of the clients that he's worked for have done and what he has done for them. But before we get into all of that, Tom Soselko, welcome to Things Not Seen. David, so
1: good to be with you on the show.
0: Well, so I mentioned that you have been the principal at TC Public Relations. And so, first of all, for a person who may have heard the term public relations, but not really have a sense of exactly what that term means, can you give us three or four sentences about what it means to say that you are an expert in public relations?
1: I would say it in two words, reputation management. If people, their greatest asset, whether it's an individual or a business, is their reputation because things, everything is built on reputations, right? Why are people still not concerned about the stock market if they have Procter & Gamble? Well, they've been around 100 years. <laughs> so and they have a reputation uh, that has lasted that long. So people, when you think of public relations, you think about how do you maintain that? How do you communicate it? And how do you, um, in some cases, if there's damage in the crisis, how do you mitigate the potential damage to your your name or your organization.
0: And so when we talk about reputation management, since you mainly work with religious organizations, one would imagine that those organizations have sterling reputations all the time. What are some of the things that might happen to a religious organization that might require some help from you with their reputation?
1: Well, unfortunately, you know, you know I don't want to name names, but you know, certainly, you know, you, you and I both are in the Chicagoland area. And a number of major uh, ministries, organizations, churches that are probably literally known internationally, you know, for which do have great reputations. You know, some of their leadership has unfortunately fallen to the wayside because of impropriety and how they handle it. So, you know, some churches want to get ahead of it in the sense that they unfortunately plan for the day that, you know, something bad happens in their ministry, perhaps inappropriate activity with the children, with the leadership the senior pastor and you know acting in a certain way that was maybe perhaps even just misinterpreted by uh, someone of the opposite sex and they want to get ahead of it. And then the other ones who in some cases, uh, typically smaller organizations, all of a sudden the cameras are at their door saying, you know, uh, you've been accused of some problem, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, sexual misconduct, and they need to deal with that that crisis because in some cases, depending upon what religion denomination, They're not representing only themselves, they're representing the the members of congregation and they're representing God.
0: And so when you are coming into a situation with an organization like that, I think that maybe some of my listeners may have heard what you just said, and they may imagine that your job is to manipulate the truth or to kind of twist things so that people get a certain angle on the truth. I know you personally, and so I know that that's not what you mean, but I'd like to just make sure that you have a chance to kind of say, how is this different from flim-flamming someone or manipulating the truth in some way?
1: Yeah, over the years, there's been a term called for public relations professions called a spin doctor. You know, it kind of reminds me of the old fashioned, um, David, maybe you don't remember the game pin the tail on the donkey. But if you remember, you would, you know, as a child, you would be blindfolded. You might be facing the donkey with with the pin and the donkey's tail and they would spin you and you go, hmm, what direction am I going? And usually if they've done a good job, they get you going in the other direction and it's kind of funny. Well, in the case of what you rec- uh, thought about with your listeners saying, oh, are they just going to spin it or, you know, kind of make um, a bad thing sound good or look good? You're right. That's not really where we're at. You know, I can think of an example of a church outside Chicago where the it was a very hard case. The, the brother of the founding pastor clearly had done something inappropriate in the children's ministry and they call and they, uh the lawyer their lawyer called me up and they said we're really concerned about our liabilities but we're also concerned that the media is at their door because of the publicity that's already been generated and in that case I, I asked them come clean tell me everything let me know all the truth what this is and they said you know we want to do everything right we're going to work with the police we're going to do all the investigation we're going to turn over all the filings or documents that we might have to turn over and i said great so i'll tell you what you know tonight. When you have your evening service, they happened to be a midweek service, the day this news broke, I said so the TV cameras are going to be lining up in, near your parking lot, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to open the doors and you're going to welcome them in and let them see what you do on a regular basis. And that's certainly if they have to talk to you, you know, off the church property or at least in front of the church or somewhere else, they can talk about this issue because your mission hasn't changed, even though you're facing this
0: crisis. You just used an important word there, mission, and we'll be coming back to that as our conversation continues. But when you're giving advice to clients like this, do you ever find that clients are unwilling to take your advice or they really are wanting to hire you because they're wanting to manipulate the truth? And I certainly don't want you to name names, but have you ever had to, I guess what I'm asking is, have you ever had to turn away a client who is unwilling to be the kind of transparent client that you're asking them to be?
1: Yes. Yes. I would say, I don't know. I don't think my wife would want me to know that no, she would want me to know. She would want to know how many times I literally turn away business only because I'm not asking them to air dirty laundry for the sake of just spilling the beans. Right. And saying everything to everybody. But what I'm saying, but there have been times when I said, OK, we need to be transparent. Uh, we need to consult with your attorney because you know there's there's two courts there's a court of public opinion which i work in and then there's a court of law and i do recognize that if you say something just the wrong way and that gets documented as today's interview is being documented <laughs> and recorded it can be held against you so if you're willing to go as far as you can if you're willing to let me work with you and your attorney then we go forward but if they if they feel that they don't want to say something and I know it's going to come back to bite them, and it will become public because that's just the nature of, of the way it is now with social media. Someone's going to scrape a, a tweet from five years ago that's going to come back to haunt them, and I need to know that. Don't make me have to dig for it and then deal with it later.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Tom Saselka. He's the principal of TC Public Relations, a public relations firm that specializes in aiding religious and faith-based organizations. Well, how did you come to be involved in the work of public relations? Did you go to school for it? Did it happen by accident? Has it been a a slow progress? What was the path that brought you to this kind of work?
1: Yeah, well, you know, David, when my aspiration was to be someone like you, (laughs) producing media. Right. And that's obviously you've done it with radio, with TV, obviously with podcasts and all the various mediums you've been involved with, writing books. Right. So there was a time that I was um, I worked for a company that uh, was a film distributor, a motion picture distributor. And I did some of their marketing and I did some of their PR and I thought that was fun. And then years later, I produced a national public television special. And PBS was wonderful to work with, but didn't necessarily have a big budget for PR. So I said, well, I guess I got to do it. And so I just said, I'm going to figure out how to promote this. And I realized that I was able to do the research and figure out how to get this on CNN, the Associated Press, the Chicago Tribune, and across the country, and kind of walked into it that way. And from that point forward, I'll just kind of skip over uh, too many details. I eventually worked with someone who you know, Malcolm Baker, John Malk. Who uh, you know his law firm does a lot of religious cases in the courts and represents or religious organizations. I started working with him and found that in, in many cases the law and the intersection with religion would be very close with zoning with free speech, with public accommodation, and it just kind of all and then and then kind of working with him and his legal work, which I still do a lot of legal. A PR work too, kind of led to understanding this, you know, religious area. And then interestingly enough, that led me to working with a number of publishers who produce uh, published books, as you well know, and it just kept rolling from that, that point forward. And and I think one of the things that I found is that there's a blog, I haven't looked at it recently, I think, you know, the media or doesn't get religion. What I found was whether I was talking to a religious media outlet like a Christian Post or a Jewish Times or I was talking to a mainstream media outlet a CNN or Chicago Tribune you know I was able to translate that message that would be appropriate for a secular or in some cases a particular religious
0: denomination audience So if I'm hearing you correctly you kind of got into it by accident but you discovered <laughs> that that you had an aptitude for it is is that a fair characterization that you figured out that you had a natural talent for this
1: Absolutely you know uh, as a side note I started In college, I started out in electrical engineering. Right. Big surprise there, right? And the first year I was on the dean's list, you know, getting straight A's or whatever you have to do to be on the dean's list. But then as time went on, I went to the dumb list by the time I was ending my sophomore year and realized that they were that either I was gonna have to quit or they were gonna kick me out. Switched to communications. And you know, that was a time when communications was slideshows, click, click, not PowerPoint. And then just kind of kept, you know, going, literally going forward, you know, from there. And then eventually, as you said, realizing necessity is the mother of invention. Since I didn't have the money for PR for my own project, I had to do it. Other people started noticing that. And I started getting referrals for business.
0: Well, let me ask you, as we're heading towards break, one other question. You've been a small business owner for a number of years. And so what are some of the unique challenges for a small business owner who is also a person of faith in this time?
1: Oh, interesting. As a small business owner, you know, one of the books that was very influential, someone introduced me to, it's called The E-Myth. And anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, I would highly recommend it. I'm sure it must be in the 10th edition or whatever it is now. But but the point is, it made clear that every business has three fundamental functions, right? It doesn't matter whether you're a brick and mortar or you're Amazon or you're you know, digital property, that you have to get the business, you have to do the work of whatever your business is, and you have to kind of maintain it. And I would call that the administrative and I think as a, the smaller the business you are, you know, as the owner, you're doing wearing more of those hats. So yes, I've had bookkeepers, I have accountant. I know I've had, I have a, a now in this case, I have a virtual administrative assistant. <laughs> but uh, more of that falls on your head, so to speak, as far as your responsibility. Now, your second part of the question, what does that mean as a person of faith? Is how do I acquire business in, in align with my values? So for example, I would say, if somebody said, well, what is your faith statement? I would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want to get into denominations and you know, things. I look, at, I look at the world through a biblical worldview. And uh, there was a time some years back when I really, really needed some new business. <laughs> you know, okay? I had a, a much bigger operation at the time, a lot of overhead, a lot of expenses, And I remember going into a client, and it was a pretty big project, and they really liked it, we were really clicking, and I think they were just about to write the check and hand the check, and then they said, oh, we got this other thing we do. And it didn't really align with my values. And I said, I have to tell you, the 90% of what we've talked about, I'm on board, I'm with you, I really wanna help you with your mission, I care about what you do. I don't really agree with this. And it's not in my heart to do that. So that's really something I'd have to put to the side. But the night and they said, well, no, no, you have to do the whole thing. And I said, well, then I have to reject the whole thing. And that's probably where that that came in. And here it is. You know, like I said, I've been doing this for well. I've been doing this type of work for almost 30 years. I had my business for about 25 years. So obviously it's it's worked out.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Tom Soselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations, a public relations firm that specializes in aiding the messaging and reputation management of faith based and Christian organizations. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Tom Siselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations, a public relations firm based in Chicago that works across the nation specializing in reputation management and public relations for faith-based and Christian organizations. Given the fact that you've been in the business for close to three decades, I wonder if you would be willing to talk to me and my listeners a little bit about how you have seen the media landscape change during that time. So, from about the early nineteen nineties to today, what have been some of the major shifts that you've observed?
1: Yeah, well, David, that's a great question. You know, often I think about my career and I say I've literally have gone from faxes to Facebook, from telephones to Twitter, right? <laughs> you know, from long distance calls to uh, LinkedIn. Certainly, we've gone from the you know obviously the analog world to a you know a digital world in in that respect. And and I would say that the the big thing that is good and I think concerning are media silos. Well, actually, you know it's funny you asked. I didn't think about this until you asked that question, now, David. I think there's media silos, and then there's media blah. And I'll explain blah is in a second. Okay, so uh, media silos is okay. So we'll name names. We all know MSNBC and Fox News probably are going to have a different perspective, you know. So i you know, the other day, or well, not the other day, but you know, when I was able to go to the gym <laughs> and exercise, and they have all the screens. I remember watching, okay, Fox News and you know MSNBC or M- I forget what, but, but the point is, they were talking about political issue where the politicians are doing everything right. Same issue on the other screen, politicians are doing everything wrong. What I have found is. One of the biggest changes is that people kind of you know get into their echo chambers and they just want to hear what they want to hear. Where I remember someone who I worked with a book, it was a, um, a book author I worked with, and he was very clear that if you really want to develop your career or your life, you have to listen to the other side, you know, so to speak. Now that's a lot more work now, right? Because now you got to listen to what you want to listen to, you got to listen to what you uh, what the other side is listening to. And there's a a chart a woman who's done this over the years, she puts together a chart, and she kind of has like the XY axis. And, you know, let's say on the Y axis going up is more significant media outlet. And there's quadrants for conservative versus liberal. And, you know, so obviously, at the top center, which is most unbiased, most influential would be, let's say, the Associated Press, right? Because, you know, there you have professionally trained journalists. But that's not where it used to be. You know, it's in the sense that now that's of so, so I guess the big change is I've seen it go from getting both sides almost in most places to where you have this, you know, the silo and this fragmentation of your viewpoint. And all you're doing is hearing, yeah, 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 you know, that media outlets for my candidate or my party or, you know, my position on some issue. The blah, that's a very technical media term. I'm sure you use that in your profession, David, is that some of the mainstream media Uh, Because of the downturn in their revenue, because of the fragmentation, don't have specialists. Uh, I'll give you an example. In my world, years ago, I used to go to the Religion News Writers Association. They have a national conference around the country, like any trade organization. And there would be hundreds of reporters. I mean, even let's say the Peoria Star would have a religion news reporter (laughs) who would go to this conference. Well, the Chicago Tribune doesn't have a religion reporter. And so a lot. Of, so what's happened is, but they still have to report on religion, right? So now you find out, while well, it's the crime reporter, it's the you know the high school sports editor, maybe at a small newspaper in a town that's reporting on these issues of churches or synagogues or, or you know whatever that house of faith might be in an issue, and therefore they don't have time to get it thorough and right, you know. And that's the kind of law part where it's you know the silos. Or you know they they become like okay I guess I got to do this and it's um, um, some of it's good and some of it's not as good.
0: And so if I'm hearing you correctly, this shrinking of religion coverage, it has to lead to a sense in which religion is more fringe in their reporting. It's they they almost have to push to the really wild stuff as opposed to the everyday aspects of religion and and so. That must be very frustrating for you as a person who has to maintain relationships with the media to understand that a lot of your job if I'm hearing you correctly has shifted from simply maintaining relationships to now if I'm if I'm imagining you must explain sometimes why your clients' work is significant to the people that you're trying to reach in the media is that correct
1: Absolutely absolutely because you're right there would be a time where the the daily newspaper or tv shows would talk about you know something significant going on the religious community obviously we think of the big holidays that happen uh, at the end of december or in other parts of the year depending upon the faith tradition and they don't they don't cover that anymore because it's not gonna even though it might be very significant they still don't cover it you know so we we think about more breaking news and often when it's tied to something which really has nothing to do with the, the house of faith you know so we talk about the scandals Maybe if there's a big fire, this happens to be at a church, it's not going to be focused on their, their you know, their, their faith tradition. You know, there would be a time people would talk about how maybe the landscape went from this is a town that tended to be more Catholic, more Protestant. Now there's Jewish influence, Muslim influence coming in. They would kind of talk about how is that, how the community really relating to one another. And they don't really do that anymore, you know, per se, on, a, so, you know, on the on a regional or, or local level. Yeah, there's still some folks maybe at national media that do a little bit of that, but, but not really. It's not considered a category like sports or business or you know things of that nature. So, for example, I'm in Chicago. Of course, now I, don't get, you know, I used to get the paper in my office because I kind of liked having the Tribune. It just felt good. The one paper I have left, everything else I read on my phone, right? So, obviously, I'm reading all the news on the phone. And the only thing they had about Easter weekend was where the churches were having live stream, uh, services during the past week, and that was the big news. <laughs> it wasn't that there was a big pageant, you know, or Lady of Guadalupe or, or something, you know, whatever that might be. It was it was just okay. Here's the live stream where you can go, and that was the big news. And it wasn't reporting. It was for the most part the churches going to some place that they would log in, and say hi. I'm the blank blank church or the you know whatever that is. Or in the case of uh, the Jewish faith, you know, let's say a lot of seders were going on, you know, Passover virtually. And that was it. It was just really just uh, people reporting their event live streaming.
0: You mentioned the siloing of the major media networks, and I think that that's an important factor. But I also I'm wondering, because we're in an age now where one person's random tweet or post can, in some cases, break their career. And I'm wondering, in your 30 years of experience, how you have seen the rise of social media really changing the landscape of the work that you do?
1: Yeah, well, I would say one of the big things that, well, a couple of things that have changed the work that I do is, first of all, you know, a lot of times the the nature of media relations or public relations is when it's on the positive side, let's say. So, you know, we think of Coca-Cola, if they're donating to a major charity in Africa, So water, let's say a water supply. Obviously, they want good PR for that. But when you talk about you know the social media and how it's changed, it is that what I found, uh, particularly with religious organizations, is that they have to become their own media monitoring service. So, for example, it would be a time where if there was a problem in the church, you know maybe people would talk about it after service, and then maybe that would be kind of the end of it. But now you're going to have this one tweet where you know, someone says, I was talking to the pastor and he put his arm on my shoulder. And in his mind, it's like, I'm just showing compassion in her mind, it's harassment. <laughs> it becomes a Me Too movement issue. And I think that's the thing that's been harder because it's not like when the Tribune or the New York Times might call you up and you have time to maybe get things in order to figure out what you're gonna say, but rather it's a random tweet that all of a sudden all the congregants are now sharing and retweeting or whether it's a Facebook post. And if you're not watching that, that's going to damage your reputation. And you have to decide, even if you want to get into the discussion, and if you do, how you would get into it. So I think that's one of the major things I've seen, particularly with religious organizations and how social media has could impact them from a public relations standpoint.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Tom Soselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations. He's got three decades of experience in helping faith-based organizations, Christian organizations, Catholic organizations, Muslim organizations, the broad spectrum of faith organizations, to help to shape their public message and to be effective in reaching new audiences. One of the things that happens when I'm working with my show, Things Not Seen, is I will oftentimes have people reaching out to me with unsolicited emails and cold calls and I would consider that most of the people that are doing that are, are what I would call publicists. Like their job is to push, push, push. And it's basically just a press release. And they, they'll they email me and then they'll they'll follow up with an email saying, did you get my press release? Are you ready to talk to – and my sense of your work, Tom, is that your approach is very different. You're not push, push, push. My sense from having watched you work over the years is that you are – much more about the long term relationship. And you're much more about trying to make sure that when you are placing information in someone's hands, it will be actionable for them in a way that will kind of help their reporting. Now, first of all, do I understand the difference between what you do and what a publicist does? Or would you say it a different way?
1: Well, it's interesting where you started the conversation, where basically you said, you know, people are just throwing things at you and they have no idea if it has any relevance to your show or that you would even care. Uh, I had a client years ago. She was a networking expert and she used the equivalent of, you've probably been to some networking meeting, you know, it's a cocktail hour, could be a church social. (laughs) And, you know, somebody, well, this is a very good example. You have the, the real estate agent who you know, goes to the church socially after service and kind of takes their business cards and kind of sprays them around the room. And you're like, well, wait a minute. First of all, you're in a place that we're here because we're worshiping. And then secondly, I don't necessarily want to talk to you about selling my house or buying a house. <laughs> so, so I think there's that, you know, that that spray and pray perhaps that, that you're experiencing. You could say it's a publicist. I mean, people still refer to that term. I would consider myself a public relations consultant, publicist, you know, per se. However, I think you're right about the long view. You know, it's interesting. You asked me earlier in an earlier segment, David, you said, Have you ever turned down business? And actually, just recently, I had actually a client, someone I've worked with for years. And unfortunately, their business has taken a downturn. And they asked me to do a certain project. And I said, Well, I think it's going to cost X to X. And he said, Well, you know, the way things are, can we do it for half of X? However, I will give you a, a bonus. If you get me the interview on whatever the media outlet is, whatever it is, Forbes or Christianity Today or whatever it might be, we'll, we'll give you a performance, basically a performance bonus, right? And I said, you know, I can't do that. The reason I can't do it is this is all earned media. The reason they're going to talk about you, write about you, report on you or retweet your, do a retweet of one of your, your tweets is because you have something they see a value to share with their audience If I have to become a huckster and I'm thinking at the end of the day, if I get this story, I'm going to be talking to that reporter like a car salesman. No offense to the car salesman listening, (laughs) but that's always the hardest thing to do in my life. And I haven't had to buy many cars. I'm very grateful for that. But you know, you're starting to get into this whole negotiation because you got to make the sale because you got a quota to make because the quota is the only reason I get the bonus is because I get the quote sale of the story in the media outlet. And I had to say, you know, I'm sorry. You want to come back. You know, when things are a little better, i would be happy to, to work with you and just do it my best work with the understanding that, you know, I will do it in, in an ethical way and obviously the best way possible. However, I can't just hawk your your message because number one is it doesn't look good for you. It doesn't look good for me. And one of the reasons you're paying me is because I have a relationship with this reporter for 10 years or five years. It might be five minutes. It doesn't matter. It might be a new reporter. I want them to have a good impression of who I am.
0: And I really like the way that you said that, that you have a kind of ongoing relationship and relationships need to be maintained and relationships also are... They can't ever be one way. Like, it can't be only that this person knows you because you send a fax over their transom or you're constantly emailing them. But instead, you've actually taken an interest in what their beat is. And we've just used two words that we may need to clarify. We may need to talk about what we mean when we say beat in terms of reporting. And you also use the term earned media. So if you'll just take a moment and and define those two terms, beat and earned media for my listeners. Sure,
1: sure. Beat is someone, they have a specialty in something. Right, so you could say this person is a is a specialist in commodities trading in the financial sector. This person is a specialist in where Judaism is going in American culture, or Reform Judaism, Conservative Judaism, and and those are very different, you know, in the sense that there be kind of goes back to the silo we talked about earlier in knowing that. So that's you know that's one term, and then the other term you were asking, what was the other term? David was um,
0: earned media.
1: Yeah, so. There's three kinds of media. There's earned media, there's paid media, and then there's owned media, right? So so we'll start with the first two that I don't, I do some in, but not as much. So owned media is your website. It's your website. You, put, well, you, you have a newsletter, you have a blog, you have a podcast, <laughs> it's your media. You control it, everything there is your material and you control what's said. Okay, paid media is the banner ads, right? It's funny. I work with some clients who do banner ads, and a lot of times when I'm going to their website uh, trying to find some information, all of a sudden their their banner ads are following me through the internet. You know, <laughs> so that's the paid media, right? And then the earned media is what it says: you earn it. You you know you did something that someone who says I I, I owe you nothing, except that I need good information for my audience and you got good information for my audience, you know, that type of thing. You know, it also says something earlier, David, about the relationship. And this is one thing that's changed over the years. You know, so for example, you know, when I started out, <clears throat> I had gotten a major story in a media outlet. I probably would take a little card and I'd write a note and would say, you know, dear editor, dear reporter, thank you so much, I really appreciate the fact that you uh, interviewed my client. Uh, I it, it was great working with you. Hope we have a chance to work together again. Best regards, Tom Saselka. One of my mentors said never say thank you, because that meant they did something for you. You can appreciate them, but you don't want to thank them because that sounds like a quid pro quo <laughs> type of scenario. But what's different now? Well, first of all, at, at least in the current situation, you know, mail is not what mail used to be, as far as people, you know, using mail. So what I do differently now is when the story comes out and I see the article online. I will send the reporter note, dear so and so. We really, I say the same message. We really appreciate this, and by the way, I'm going to make sure I share this link on my networks with everybody else, um, so that they can see what you reported on this about my client or you know the topic or things like that. So, and they appreciate that because remember, journalism today is about clicks. I remember I learned this years ago when um, a, a number of online. There's a service called Patch, which is all this regional media that was set up uh, years ago. And uh, one of the leaders who started Patch said, "You know what? Our reporters, their success is based on the clicks of their story. And so, if a reporter is generous enough to to give me coverage, I need to be just as generous to say, you know what? I, it was a good story. I, I think you covered our client fairly. I'm going to make sure we, you know, we share that.'" And, In that case, I do it via an email to build a relationship with them, and they they do appreciate that.
0: And so what I'm hearing you saying is that that personal connection and understanding the person on the other side of the line that you're reaching out to, that you're talking to, that can lead to a very effective ongoing relationship. But I imagine it also means that there are times when a client may really want you to be reaching out to a certain media outlet and you will say to them, that's not appropriate. How do clients react when you are confronting them with that kind of reasoned, expertise or that reasoned relationship that says i know my relationship you may think that you want to get to this outlet but it's better if you don't right now what what is that kind of conversation like
1: well if i've set up the agreement up front in a proper order you know usually obviously you want to have something in writing and i always joke i have this disclaimer i probably used for at least 25 years Past performance, yes, I can show you the media coverage I've gotten for other clients, whether it's CNN, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Huffington Post, whatever. However, that's no guarantee of future returns, and just so you know, I can't guarantee how much coverage you're going to get. I can't guarantee the tone of the coverage you're going to get, and therefore you know this is a working relationship that we're going to agree on you know agree on something. And so if they, so, hopefully they've, they've had some sense of my feelings about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. So when we get to that point of them saying, hey, I really want you to do this, it's not just me saying, well, I think that's a bad idea. It's usually it's a bad idea because, you know, and, and in most cases I can usually, you know, if they're a reasonable client and I, the nice thing is about working for yourself is I get to kind of pick and choose <laughs> who I get to work with. I remember years ago, I can't say which one, I was doing, I was working with another public relations agency and I was doing public relations for one of the major cell phone carriers. And headquarters out of the East Coast kept sending us press releases because I was handling their Midwest media relations for this major phone company. And they would send these press releases at headquarters, okay, let's get this in a local paper. And, And I would read it and it would be something like, and I'm being silly here, but it was almost the equivalent of we repainted our offices with environmentally friendly paint. (laughs) And I would say, well, I'm glad you're, you're, you know, use green paint, you know, well, so quote, green, as far as environmental, but I'm not going to push this, you know, if you want me to mail it to people, maybe I'll put in the mail or something. But for me to call them up and really push the story, wouldn't be in the best interest. And so I've had those kind of matters happen in the past.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Tom Soselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations, a Chicago-based firm that does national work for faith organizations to help them to manage their reputations and get their messages out to the world. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, folks, this is David. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the work that I do. As you're probably aware, in addition to this show, I help produce a number of other programs about culture and faith. One of them is the Commonweal podcast, produced by my friends over at Commonweal Magazine. For almost a century now, Commonweal has staked a claim for Catholic principles and perspectives in American life and for lay people's voices within the church. Their podcast features a wide spectrum of voices discussing art, politics, religion, and civil society. Each episode offers 3 or 4 segments that amplify the pages of the print magazine and move into new frontiers. I've been a reader of Commonweal for a long time, and I'm thrilled to share this new podcast with you, whether you're a long-time reader yourself or just discovering it for the first time. You can find the Commonweal podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, as well as on their website, commonwealmagazine.org/podcast. That's commonwealmagazine.org slash podcast. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. Today, we're talking with Tom Soselka. He's a longtime friend of mine, and he is the principal at TC Public Relations, a public relations firm based in Chicago that does work across the nation, mainly with faith-based organizations to help them manage their reputations and get their messages out to the world. Well, earlier in our conversation, you used a word, and I want to return to it. You talked about mission. When you are working with an organization, particularly a faith-based organization, when we use this term mission, it may mean something to you that my listeners may not have caught on to. So what are you looking for in terms of the mission of an organization when you're working for them, and how does that help you do your job? Sure.
1: Well, first of all, I, I try to find out if they figured out what their, what their mission is. Because if I'm coming to them to tell them what their mission is, I can help them. (laughs) But if that's where we're starting, I got to say, well, you know, before we write anything, before before we do any promotion, we got to nail that down. But in most cases, you know, they've had a, in the case of, let's say a church or a non-for-profit church might have a a board of elders, a non-for-profit ministry organization might have a board of advisors, particularly people in the business community. And somewhere on there, there's going to be some professional business person who's going to say, okay, we need to define who are we serving? How are we serving them, and what's the vehicle to provide that service? If it's a case of a non-for-profit, and so then, if I understand that, as I move forward, and they come up with what they want to promote, I have to think about does this fit their mission, okay? You know, because they've hopefully clarified that either we've clarified it together, or you know, their board has done it. Because what I have found is is that some people get really excited about something, and in an earlier segment, we talked about paid. Uh, versus earned versus owned media and the point is if your if your own media is talking about ducks and if your uh, social media or uh, other media channel is talking about cows and you want me to promote horses (laughs) you're really not fulfilling whatever the core mission is you really got to get those things in alignment now they're all very different but the point is you want to get those in alignment. So where, where, where that impacts my relationship with the client and mission is, I have to say, does this really fulfill the mission? So I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a, a ministry that helps uh, prisoners, you know, come back into the workforce. And there's some wonderful organizations that do that. You know, they, they pay their debt. They really want to get back on their feet. And I've worked with those organizations and I love them. I mean, because I just love the fact that, you know, it's a hand up, not a handout and that there's a lot of tough love. However, they have to decide if they're focusing on a certain uh, a type of, let's say it's uh, women or men, uh, youth, in the sense that you wanna stay there. I and mean, If you're mostly helping men, then you wanna focus on reaching that audience and that message. If all of a sudden, okay, you took in one child, well, that's really good, but unless you're gonna expand into a children's ministry division, I'm glad you helped that child, but that may not be something you want to promote only because like, oh, I thought you really helped, you know, a, you know, men who were, you know, in, older and, you know, coming out of prison as opposed to a, a someone who's in their youth because, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of having um, a straying away from their mission.
0: So if I'm hearing you correctly, sometimes an organization that is faith-based might say, well, there's so much good that needs to be done in the world and they'll they'll see something new and they'll say, oh, well, this is good that we should do now and instead of staying with what they're good at so you're using your horses cows chickens example if they're good with horses they should stay with horses even if there's a need to do good with chickens that may not be what their donors ask them to do that may not be what their what their staff is trained to do so how then do you help an organization not only to clarify its mission but then to communicate that mission effectively to the world so the world gets excited about that mission along with them
1: that really ties into integrated uh, communications. So, you know, I use this example of earned. There's another term that uh, I, I didn't coin this term, but it's called peso, P-E-S-O, and it's another variation of that. And so, P stands for paid, E stands for earned, which is most much of what we've been talking about in this conversation, David. S stands for shared, which you know a lot of times can be a, a social, and then O stands for own, right? So. So the whole idea is I am one part of a team that's communicating. The way that we do that is if they're focusing on a certain, and we were joking about, you know, horses, chickens, or cows, whatever their specialty is, is it does it go, is the same message go across platforms as it fits that platform. So for example, we know there's videos on, on TikTok. Well, we got to have the moving horse. <laughs> if we're doing a meme on Facebook, we got to have a great quote about horses right if we're if we're doing something on our website we got to have a really good white paper about horses you know or, or long form article about the significance of what they do in let's say helping courses and I think that's what I try to do is to think you know you because you have this integrated model today and that you have these areas that you have to work on to make sure they're all in, in alignment and in some cases I got to make sure I'm not out of alignment with what they're doing in other in other areas of their communications.
0: What are some of the major national projects that you have worked on in the past that you are particularly proud of? In, in my conversations with you, I can think of a couple like the Million Bible Challenge, but I wonder if mm-hmm. a couple come to mind that you'd like to share with my listeners.
1: Well, actually, that's a good example, David, the Million Bible Challenge. That was um, a work project I was doing with Thomas Nelson Publishing, and, and their goal was to basically sell a million Bibles at a dollar each so that people would give them away. And outside of saying, oh, here's a cheap Bible, <laughs> not, not a lot of PR out of that. So what I had to do is figure out, how do we do this? And so it was, the campaign was kind of running uh, November, December was when they were doing this. Whatever. I can't forget what year it was. So I said, well, wait a minute, November. First of all, November is, and in in I think the second or third week is like National Bible Week. And it turned out that we were able to partner with the Bible Society in New York City and for 24 hours, we had people sign up to read the Bible in Times Square. So literally, you think at the center of the universe, people are reading the Bible and we generated publicity around, around that. That was really a lot of fun for me. Now we get into December. And I still have the contract. I still got to generate publicity for the Million Bible Challenge. And I said, you know, so the, so the headline there was to the media was, for less than the cost of a bow and ribbon, you can give someone eternal life. Okay. And that took off because then people thought, "Wow, for twenty bucks, I can get a case of Bibles. I can you know stick one on every package i 'm sending out to my my friends and so on and that was really that was very exciting now i 'll tell you something that is totally an anomaly was last year, uh, I got a call from an author who did a biography on Harry Carey, and the fun part there was I got to connect with all these cubs, white socks, cardinals fans, obviously Harry Carey fans. And the joy there was, I'm not a sports person. But the fun was getting the message out, you know, working with the author. And so, you know, that was something, you know, I wouldn't put that on my website, you know, that I do a lot with, you know, sports books. But it just, it's a long story how that just came to me through a networking conversation with some other folks. And I just happened to be the right person at the right time. And I was very proud of that, that I got to exercise the gifts that I have in a very different spot and I kind of was up for the challenge.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt and we're talking today with Tom Siselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations. It's a public relations firm that's based in Chicago but it works all over the nation to help faith organizations spread their message and to manage their reputations. I am wondering, as we're coming to the end of the conversation, if you'd be willing to entertain a couple of questions about your own faith and in particular, over the past 30 years, as you've been doing this work in public relations, how has your work in public relations affected your faith journey, or has it?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. So I was raised in a traditional Christian faith. Can't say I really followed it to the in an orthodox sense. And then probably around 1993, 94, I forget exactly when, I really came to say, oh, yeah, Jesus is it. <laughs> and that really did change everything because i can remember my i still was doing business prior to that where i worked as an employee not for myself and i realized that you know what i gotta be direct i gotta be honest i have to expose things even if it's things of my own you know and one of the things that happened after that what i would call a conversion if you will was that i really had to fess up for you know past mistakes you know, even if it costed me you know, my pride <laughs> or money. And, you know, that really did change things. And I think as going forward. I work with a lot of people. I don't necessarily even know where their faith is, you know, and, you know, because we do work with other things that aren't necessarily always Christian or, or faith-based. But uh, there have been times when I can actually uh, pray with people because sometimes they come to me because they're hurting. You know, I remember like I gave the example earlier a segment when that pastor said, my brother did this. And I want to come clean. I said, you know what? I'm going to walk through the fire with you because we think about how God walked through the fire with his people. We think of Daniel and his buddies in in in, in the fire. And that's what I want to do. So I just have a different perspective, a different perspective. And even people who I know who don't subscribe to Christianity or follow the Bible, a lot of times will say, you know, I noticed something in you and then I can say, great. And then I can say, can I pray for you? And. You know, that's very unusual in many contexts. So I think that's one thing that's really, really changed me. And for, and for the people who don't have any faith at all, I just know that, you know what, I, I'm not doing this unto myself. I'm doing this unto the Lord. So whether they, because most of my clients never see me. I, mean, I have clients in Minneapolis and Florida and uh, Texas. They may never see me, but they have to know that when I fill out my, my invoice, my timesheet, it's an accurate measure.
0: It occurs to me that even though you are vocally Christian and that you work with a lot of Christian clients, over the years you probably have also worked with clients from other faith traditions. What has that been like for you? And I'm just conjecturing here because I don't know for sure if you have, but if you've worked with a Jewish client or a Muslim client or a Hindu client, how has your faith and their faith, how have you found that kind of exchange to be during those times?
1: Oh, I have a great example. It was again. I'll have to keep it general just to protect the 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 specifics. But there was a a, outside of Chicago, a um, mosque was going to be built. There had already been a, a Muslim school for the children. They were going to do an add on, and they had it was a zoning issue. You know how that whole goes with zoning for churches versus commercial, you know, or religious organizations. And and the neighbors around the property where they were going to build the mosque didn't want them there. So they actually put plastic pigs on their lawns as an affront to the community. And and I have to tell you, I got pretty upset. I said that is if you're talking about a witness, you're not going anywhere with that. <laughs> and so I worked very hard to help them get that mosque built. Not necessarily because I, you know, subscribe to their faith tradition, but rather I said they have the same religious rights that any other organization in the United States has to be there. And as long as they're following the laws with zoning and whatever they have to do with, you know, construction permits, then why would you do that? Why would you offend them as your neighbor? If you're, if it's particularly when Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, they're still your neighbor. You know, Jesus didn't say, love your Christian neighbor. He said, love your neighbor. Now obviously, you may not attend their service and that's your choice. And so that was when I was really, very excited. I remember meeting, you know, a lot of times I was working with the board of directors and the leaders of the mosque, and a lot of them had other jobs in downtown Chicago. And I would see them downtown and I would say, you know, Muhammad, oh, and I'd give a great big hug, you know, because I just really loved them. And I just wanted to love on them because the way I loved on them was like, hey, you know, I'm gonna make sure that your rights are respected because you are doing the right thing.
0: I wonder, as as we're drawing to the end of the conversation, I imagine that as a small business owner, there are times when things are very frustrating. And I imagine as a person who has to stay involved in conversations with the news media, there are times that you get very frustrated. I wonder what you do in those moments to keep your hope alive and what kind of well you draw from to stay optimistic. Because I will say you are one of the most consistently optimistic people that I know in my life. And I'm grateful for that optimism, but I'm wondering if you can share with me and my listeners kind of how how you draw from and where you draw from to reach that kind of hope and optimism.
1: Well, the hope and optimism is is an internal, you know, heart issue, and I think particularly, and maybe it's because of age and experience and people who I know who are my mentors. I've been through, through some hard things, you know, and I'll give you I'll give you one, and and again, it kind of ties into my faith, my my mother who was not really a person of faith until she couldn't get pregnant. And she prayed to get pregnant. And then voila, here's Tom Saselka. Okay, when she was about 40 years old, toward the end of her life, she was praying for me. But she wound up she was at home, she had so So she had quadruple bypass surgery. She was on dialysis. And one day when my father was out shopping, he called to check on her, she went to get the phone, she fell and broke her hip, which led her to really ultimately be in a nursing home. And she spent the last year of her life in the nursing home. And I remember visiting her one time in the nursing home and she was in bed and she says, you know what, if you know anyone who's gone through, well, anything really, but dialysis is pretty hard, pretty hard thing. She says, you know what, I suffer so much, but I know that when God was on earth, he suffered more. (laughs) And when she said that her countenance just, She almost like lifted up off out of the bed. My hair was blown back and I had a lot more hair. Although your audience can't see me, I'm follically challenged. (laughs) But my hair was blown back at the time. And that really just, and I said, you know what? If if she could press through this, I can press through other things. Do, Do I get sad? Do I get depressed? Do I get anxious? Of course I do. But there's times when I remember someone who proved their faith to me that will help me you know, turn around in that way. And if I give one more is my father, when I was, I don't know how old I was, probably in grade school, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. I've been out with this friend of mine. I'll say his first name, Daniel. because Every time I mention his name, my wife cringes because she knows everything I did bad as a child I did with Daniel. Anyway, <laughs> we were out. Uh, we were coming back from riding our bikes and and uh, moved you know what LPs are? You know those big vinyl records. Actually, they're making a comeback, right? I think they're making a comeback, right? I see them selling more recorders and I mean, or players in stores now. A truckload of those somehow fell on the street. I don't. And so my friend and I, we, we, I don't know why, we picked them up and started throwing them in the air, like frisbees. But little did we know they were going up like a V and hitting a peak and coming down the other side of upside down V, and it would land on people's cars, was dinging the paint of people's cars at a um, train station, you know, people work for like the the public transportation system. So, and then somebody started running after us and we ran. And then we thought, oh, we're, we're, we're free now, right? So we ran and then we got to the train yard and we said, hey, let's go hop into the train large. So we climbed the fence. I was kind of heavy at the time and I was not a very good fence climber. So I somehow managed to get in, but as we were going up the hill, we didn't know the security guard was following us. And so when he was following us, but then he chased us, and neither one of us could get over the fence fast enough. And he handcuffed us and took us to the station for the <laughs> security. And he said, "I'm going to check your record." And he went into another room, and we were sitting there with our handcuffs, you know, behind this t- typical metal desk that you see in, you know, institutions. All right, all right, you're clear. You can go. He unlocked us, and we went home. We thought, Whoosh. Well, little do we know. I didn't know this. I walked into my house, and I could feel something." Well, literally, no. Who do you think he called? He called our parents. <laughs> my father. I talked to my father. My mother never knew what happened, I, I don't think. That night when my father was going to bed, I went in to talk to him. He says, Tom, I got a phone call tonight. Oh, and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, boy, he's going to really let me have it. He says, do you know, you could have been killed. There's a third rail. Third third rail. If you touch that third rail, you would have been dead. That man saved your life. As you're going on those tracks. And that was he never said anything else. And I learned what grace was through that message from him. I said that is to this day, that tells me what grace is and that inspires me. And by the way, the day I did that was Father's Day. So <laughs> happy Father's
0: Day. Well, Tom Soselka, it is a joy to talk to you. Thank you for telling me about your craft of public relations. Thank you for taking some time to talk about some of the clients that you have worked with over the years and some of the lessons that you've learned. Thank you, especially for sharing your wisdom. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for my friendship with you over the years, but also for your taking the time to share all of this with my listeners.
1: Well, thank you, David. And keep your mission going there and help people understand about things not seen.
0: <laughs> We've been talking today with Tom Soselka. He's the principal at TC Public Relations, and he works across the United States to help...